0: Would you please turn with me to Romans? This is the only thing I can do right now. Is start. Please uh, bear with me. Let's go into Romans chapter five. But I want us to look at a couple of verses before that, because um, this is a, this message is just pure Christmas. This is a pure message that if if I could uh, could give you a, a gift of of for this season, I would pray that this might be it. Paul closed his thoughts in the fourth chapter, in the 25th verse, with these amazing words. He says, he, talking of Jesus, who was delivered up because of our transgressions, because of our sins, he was delivered up. And he was raised because of our justification. Therefore, Chapter 5, verse 1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction. The New King James uses a much better word. says, We have obtained our access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. We will talk of that next week. Our theme next week will be this, the glory of God, this the reason for the birth. But today, we need to concentrate on what Paul is trying to do for us. And that's to bring us through this one very beautiful word, therefore. You see, that word is there for a reason. It is there so that we might take a look and see what has taken place. Because of what has taken place in, in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, therefore, we can be justified by faith, faith, just as if I'd never sinned, by faith. And at that point, we can have peace with God. That's an amazing statement. And we must look into it. Did we pray after I read the, those few verses? No, we must. Father, please, move me aside. Father, please, open up our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Father, I beg of you that I might move away so that from this, at least for this moment, so that we don't hear what I have to say, but rather, what is, what is it that you're trying to say to us through Paul, your dear saint? I pray you'll bless us, Father. I pray you'll bless those families in Connecticut, Father. I pray you'll watch over Casey and Natalie as they travel, Father. We have much to pray about, and we have much to be thankful of. And we could have much sorrow for those who suffer. Please watch over them all, and us as well. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, Paul closes with these amazing words in in verse 25. He says, Christ has been delivered up because of our transgressions, and he was raised because of our justification. Now, the Bible speaks often about the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you look back at chapter 4, it says uh, in verse 24, For our sakes also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. First and foremost, we know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ occurred because we were told that that death was impossible to hold him down. It couldn't hold him down. He was beyond all of that. But have you ever thought about the divine act of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The divine act of God doing what He did shows us another side of the great importance of this single event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know that it demonstrated that God was satisfied with the atoning or perfect work of His Son? You see... Had Jesus died and not been risen from the dead, it would have indicated that his atonement, his payment for our sin, was not acceptable to God the Father. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes one thing for certain, and that's the assurance of our faith. The assurance that the atonement for your soul, my soul, has been paid for in full. In full. It has been paid for for all of us who trust or have faith in Jesus Christ. We will receive the benefits of his righteousness, and ultimately we will also be resurrected with him. And so with the resurrection that is mentioned in chapter 4, verse 25, the sin dilemma has been answered in full. Salvation has been paid for in full. Our eternal home is waiting for us in heaven itself as the Lord God says He, has, he is right now preparing a place for us. Those of us who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. So... With that in mind, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, because of all of that, because of what it means to have a resurrected Savior, therefore, the conclusion is based on what has gone on before is important for us in the future. And what has gone on before this? Well, we've, we've studied it pretty thoroughly, I might add. We have seen that Paul has spent most of the first four chapters explaining why salvation in Christ is critical for every people, every person on the face of this earth. From those who do not believe, he says, you're without excuse, because he has been clearly seen. To those who are the religious, self-righteous people, he says, you too are without excuse your works will not make it, make it for you to heaven. And for the Jews who say, we believe in our heritage, we have a covenant with God, he says, you too are without excuse. All of us. Salvation in Christ is critical. That's why Paul used Abraham and, and David to make his point. He took man from our depth of hopelessness. I mean, I mean we preached it. In chapter 3, he told us that there was none of us righteous, not even one of us. None of us who have any hope whatsoever. And because of our sin nature, he brought us then to the heights of what salvation through faith in in Jesus Christ means to us. He says in chapter 3, listen listen to verses 21 and 22 in chapter 3 of Romans. Apart from the law, The righteousness of God has been manifested or seen, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, listen, through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, there is no distinction. It doesn't matter to God where you're from, who you are, nothing. He will accept us all. And so He brought us from the depths of sin to the heights of salvation. And the salvation that you and I have received was purchased at a tremendous price. It was purchased through the life, the words, the actions of our Savior. I mean, one day soon, I, I hope we get to study through one of the Gospels so that we can take a, a good look at the life of Jesus Christ and, and the words that He spoke and the actions and how He acted and reacted. Uh, during certain events. It'll be a wonderful study someday. But not only do we see that the salvation we received was purchased at a tremendous price of just his life, his words and his actions, but also the crucifixion, the death, more importantly, the resurrection of our Lord. And his life becomes a payment for your and my eternal soul, which delivered every single believer from the guilt of sin and resurrects us as well from the very sting of death. There is no second death, we are told in, in the book of Revelation, the 20th chapter, the 14th verse. There is no second death, the lake of fire, for those of us who have trusted in Christ. And, and which led Paul to write in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five. 55, O death, he says, where is your victory? Oh death, he writes, where is your sting? It's gone. It's gone. It's been null and void. The Lord has taken it away. Therefore, Paul writes in chapter 5 verse 1, because of all that has taken place, therefore, Paul states, what does all of this mean? And he answers, he answers in verses 1 and 2, primarily in verse 1, but in verses 1 and 2, giving us the... I, I say primarily in verse 1, because that's what we're going to look at today. But in both verses, He gives us the primary effect of our being justified by faith, just as if we'd never sinned because of faith. And with this, therefore, in chapter 5 in verse 1, we have been justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction, or the New King James says, we have our access into faith by grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. First things first, let's take a look at this peace that is mentioned there. But it's not just peace. We have peace with God. That's a great statement. The Bible speaks of peace in many different ways, many different places. For mankind, there's, the most desired is world peace. In fact, this is the season. I, I just received a couple of days ago from a dear friend who is Jewish. Doesn't go to synagogue hardly at all, but is Jewish. Sent me a wonderful, beautiful Christmas card with the, the grandkids on it. And, and it says on the Christmas card, as you might have guessed, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's what most people think of, of when they think of this time of the year, peace on earth. But the Bible isn't talking about peace on earth. It never does. As far as world peace is concerned, the Bible's clear. There will never, ever be peace on earth, not until the Prince of Peace comes, none other than Jesus Christ, who will come to bring ultimate peace on earth. But in the meantime, the peace that Paul is speaking about is this kind of peace. Let me share it with you. Jesus mentions it in John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says these words, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. In other words, not like the world peace would bring to you. He says, no, I bring you my peace. I give you my peace. Therefore, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. In other words, of all this mess that's going on in this world in which we see. Don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. It's not world peace that Jesus Christ is speaking about. It's not the the peace that that Paul mentions we have been left with. Paul speaks of this individual peace. That's what he's talking about. He speaks of it in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. Listen to these magnificent words by Paul. Paul writes, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. In other words, surpasses any and all understanding that you and I might have. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehensions will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is the peace that Paul is speaking of in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. The peace of God. It's the first benefit that he mentions that we have in salvation. Therefore, he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, we've been justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God. How do we have this peace? Where does it come? Only through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It's a one-on-one, individual peace between man and God, and between God and man, that Paul is speaking of. This is the peace that comes to the very soul of the person who has trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And knows that God has no longer has any charge against us or against you. That you are no longer guilty before God, knowing that you have a salvation that is permanent and eternal. This is the peace that comes because your and my sins are forgiven, and because everything is right between you and God, and God and you. You know, there are uh, far too many people tonight who will pillow their heads on bed, in their beds, not knowing what it means to have peace in their heart. There are far too many people who would love to have their guilt removed. Paul wishes to give all of you, all of them, that peace. We saw how faith and faith alone is all that Paul said is needed for us to come to Christ. He used Abraham to express this wonderful truth. In 4th chapter, 2nd and 3rd verse, Paul wrote, If Abraham was justified by works, in other words, if Abraham was able to work his way to favor with God, then he has something to boast about, he writes in the 2nd verse of chapter 4. But, he says, not before God. In other words, he can boast all he wants, but not before God. No, it says in verse 3, what does the scripture say, Paul tells us? Abraham believed God. In other words, Abraham had faith in God and God alone, and that was credited or reckoned, that is a legal term, that was credited to him as righteousness. He He was given God's righteousness on the spot because he believed God. This faith, made Abraham and David, I might add, right with God. But here's the wonderful truth. That same faith is what makes us right with God. It says in the fourth chapter, it goes on, after it speaks of Abraham and David, in the fourth chapter, the 22nd verse, let's re-remember this. In verse 22 it says, Therefore, it was also accredited, or reckoned, to Abraham as righteousness. Now, it says in verse 23, Not for his sake only, not just for Abraham, was it written that it was credited to him. Now watch, verse 24, But for our sake also. Let me repeat that. That's a great verse. Not just for Abraham, It was written, it was credited to him as righteousness, but not for his sake only, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited or reckoned, same legal term, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead. You see, you and I have the same faith, the same righteousness as as David and Abraham and, and all and every saint that has gone before us or who will go on after us. We all come the same way. Now, with all of that wonderful thought that Paul has taught us, one of the burdens of faith, in my opinion, is doubt. I don't know about you, but I seem to have the gift of doubt, darn it. I just, I meant meant that to be funny, (laughs) but I don't think there is a gift of doubt. But the fact of the matter is, I do see things half empty. It's, it's, a, it's part of what I battle. And I live with a Pollyanna. I live with someone who sees everything full. We've almost been married 40 years and I've not yet beaten that out of her, praise God. <laughs> Thank you, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> You see, Satan loves to cultivate doubt. I I believe that. I think he knows full well that we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. He knows full well that we fall short of the glory of God. And I believe that one of Satan's primary tactics against a believer, and, and maybe I'm making this a little too personal, is to make them doubt that their salvation is forever secure. And the gift that I believe that Paul wants to hand to you and me today for Christmas is the security of our faith. Perhaps that's the reason that Paul describes one of the key parts of the Christian armor in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 as the helmet of salvation. I believe he... He does that to surround and protect our minds against the doubts and the insecurities concerning salvation. It's interesting. Of Someone I love so dearly and only met casually was Dr. J. Vernon McGee and he spoke for us once at a church, at a church. and he spoke for me once at a, a chapel and um, I got to know him, which was a privilege. And he wrote these words, that, that the helmet of salvation is there to surround and protect our minds against doubt and insecurities. It appears to me, and, and I could be wrong, that anyone who truly wor- walks with the Lord will be bombarded with, with certain things. Maybe doubt and insecurities are, are part of it. I don't know. But the issue of eternal security is that once saved, always saved has been debated throughout church history, and we will talk about it more as we go along into these great chapters in Romans, chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. But since Paul teaches that a person is saved by faith, and faith alone, and I believe he he has taught it clearly in the first four chapters, I I want you to listen to this. If then, if sin can take a person away from God's grace, then a Christian must live in continual uncertainty about their spiritual destiny. And that is nothing and no way that God wanted us to live. If that is the truth, if we have to be in this state of continual uncertainty, then what we received on the basis of God's grace watch now, must be maintained on the basis of our own work. And that can be disastrous, if not unbiblical. You see, the divine righteousness received from God as a gift, if it must be maintained by the righteousness of a person themselves to achieve, Paul has made it clear that we don't have the righteousness in and of ourselves to make that happen. According to that doctrine, that thought, salvation is received by faith, given to us by God, but is maintained by our works. That doesn't make any sense. Paul has preached against that. What has been given to us by God is a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that none of us may boast. What has been given to us by God as a gift. Can we maintain by our own efforts? No. What that tries to teach, if someone believes it, is that if a believer's life does not measure up to God's standard, then his salvation is forfeited. He is again lost in his sin. No. That's why the Lord wrote to believers, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that not be true, then one day we can be spiritually alive and the next day spiritually dead. Talk about a roller coaster ride. Paul wants to destroy that notion completely. And so he wrote, writes chapter 5. And he says, Therefore, because Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead, therefore. We have been justified by faith, and we have peace with God. Chapter 5 is the standard that Paul teaches concerning eternal security to the one who believes in Christ, the one who wishes to give you and me peace with God. Now, some firmly believe that a person can lose their salvation. I am not one. I've never been one because I've been taught by McGee, MacArthur, Hawking, you name it, Smith. I've been taught. I'm going I'm, to I'm line up with Apostle Paul, I might add. Listen, most, if not all, man-made religion and cults are built on the same principle, for the most part. And that is man-pleasing and appeasing God through their own human goodness, their own human accomplishments, their own efforts. You know, when we have people come to our door to try to tell us about cults or other religious beliefs. I, I, I usually set them outside. I never bring them into the house. I don't. I sit them on, we sit on the porch. I sit with them and I said, wait a minute, let me go get my Bible. And I go get my Bible and I said, and when they start to talk to me, I said, look, with all due respect, would you please give me your address? I'll come. I'll come to your house and you can share with me what you want to share with me. But since you've come here to my house, I'll talk. Let me tell you. And I said, here's the good news. I do that's exactly what I tell them, and if they, if they don't they will go on your way I say, but here's the good news I tell them what i'm going to share with you out of this is out of pure love I, I, My Lord tells me that I win no favor by doing this to you I, I this This gives me no bonus points I'm doing this purely because I love you, and then I look him in the eye and I say, Tell me why you're here, you here because you love me or because you you have to you have to You have to earn these points. You have to earn your way to heaven. You're not here because you love me. You're here because you love you. I get it. No problem. But I'm going to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ because I purely love you and it helps me not one iota. I'm already in heaven, I'm already there. You see, most, if not all, cults believe that they can appease God by their goodness, their accomplishments, and their efforts. And because of spiritual blindness, because of spiritual ignorance, fallen man has always been convinced that he himself is able to lift himself up to God by his own spiritual efforts. If he believes in God at all, he believes that he is inherently good enough to please God, and he can make himself acceptable to God through his own efforts. And we can't. We cannot. God loves us way too much. I want to share with you this, as we close, this one... You see, Paul has already thought this through. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 10? You can close your book up in in the fifth chapter. We'll come back next next week for Christmas. Before we close, before I read you this, don't read ahead of me. Wait, wait, wait for me, please. (laughs) This is too good. I want to talk with you about it. Next week, we will meet Saturday at the Baptist Church, if you can only come on Saturday. And then then we'll meet here Sunday morning at regular times, 9 and 11. And then we'll meet Monday, the following day next week, before Christmas. And we'll have a whole different message, and we'll meet at 3 and 5 here. And we'll have a a candlelight service. It's going to be really special. Um, So just mark that in your minds. Next week, we'll meet here uh, at the regular times, 9 and 11. And then Monday at at, um, 3 and 5, candlelight service. Now, let me tell you what Paul has to say. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Thank you for waiting. He is speaking to the family of God. Brethren, he says, it's my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them. Them meaning those who are not saved. It is for their salvation. I can't tell you how many times I've read that... I've read these passages to people on my door as we sit on the front porch. I said, Paul's speaking to you here. He says, I testify about them. They have a, watch this now, they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. In other words, they're seeking to establish their own righteousness, and trying to work their way so that they can win brownie points with God. We can't do that. We don't need to do that. He has fully given us all the love we will ever need. He did that when He... Allowed his son to go to the cross for us. And then, as Paul wrote, he raised his son from the dead because he was well pleased with what he did for us, and his payment for us is in full. And so, in verse 3, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. You see, Paul has already thought this through. They tried to come to God in their own righteousness, which Paul has already taught them. They have none. None. Trust in Christ. And with that Merry Christmas, your salvation is secure. And if, you do not, if you've not ever trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, we beg of you, just ask Him to forgive you of your sin. Ask Him to come into your heart. And, and we'll try to teach you all that, that we can about this walk that you'll have with Jesus Christ. I wrote these words for you and for me. I write down for us, enjoy our salvation. Enjoy it to the max. No need to doubt. Enjoy this Christmas with your family, your loved ones. Don't let a day go by. Don't let a moment go by without telling him you love them. Think of those dear family in Connecticut. Let them know you love them. And then make a strong effort to live your life in a holy manner. In other words, separate yourself from the stuff that you you shouldn't be doing. And when and if you sin. Don't forget to confess it. As soon as you're convicted of it, tell the Lord you're sorry. Ask Him to forgive you. Live a life that is holy for your sake, for the sake of your family, and more importantly, for the sake of your walk with Jesus Christ. Let's love Him. Let's really love Him this Christmas season. When you think of it, pray for those families in Connecticut, please. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm beside myself on what, how to, what to do, or other than I guess just pray. So let me tell you right now, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I've got you here. I love you so much. I love you so much. I thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church. It's not been easy. It's been a roller coaster ride. I, I know it. I try to be upbeat. I try to. I don't always succeed. I remember, I told you the story before. I'm on time. I'm, I won't take you much of your time. i never seen anybody take a loss harder than Tommy Lasorda, who managed the Dodgers. I know, it's a baseball story, forgive me. Um, I, watched him, I watched him lose, and it's like, it's like, it's like he's been dragged inside out. He, just, he hates, hates losses. And I've seen him react to it in, in, the, in the locker room. It's not pretty sight. And then I've been there the next morning to do chapel with the team, and he comes in whistling and singing and happy. And I said, what happened to you? Oh, nothing. He says, come here. I'll teach you a good lesson. I said, what's that, Tommy? He says, never let the people see you're sad. Never let the players know that you're down. Let them think that today is the best day they're ever going to have. Now, I don't always do that as well as him. He's amazing at it. The reason I say he's amazing at him because I've seen him the day before. He had to come back a long way. (laughs) But he came back every time. Love your family today. Love one another today. Because nobody's guaranteed us tomorrow. I do love you so much. I thank you for the privilege of telling you that I love you. It's one of the greatest privileges I have here being in front of you like this. Because I'm not the only one that would say this. You would say it too. But I get to do it. For that I thank you. Father, thank you for today. Please watch over those people in Connecticut. The parents. Good Lord, the parents. The grandparents. I heard of a woman that uh, she got killed. She had five kids. Five kids. Can you imagine what her husband must be going through right now as he just thinks about how does he hold this together? So watch over them. And Father, thank you for uh, this church. Thank you for each of us here. And thank you for this time of the year that we can rejoice, that we can celebrate the birth of your Son, and that we can know for certain that we have peace with you, not because of anything we've done other than faith. You've taken care of everything for us by yourself. Thank you for that. Bless us now as wherever we might go. Father, in Jesus' precious name, bless us. Amen.